and thank you for downloading this recording from the Watford Church of Christ. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, the parable of the two lost sons and the amazing father. We hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. So context again, context is Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees not understanding or agreeing with or appreciating Jesus' different attitude towards sinners compared to their attitude. And they, they don't only misunderstand Jesus. What Jesus is trying to help them to understand is they don't understand God. They fundamentally miss something about God is really what, what's going on here. So we're going to go through the whole parable bit by bit and, and see what we can dig out. Uh, two sons from the start, right? It's not the parable of just one lost. It's not the parable of the prodigal. It is about two sons. From the very beginning, there was a man who had two sons in verse 11. There are two of them, and both have issues. Um, imagine the, uh, you were writing a school report for the first son, or especially you teachers amongst you, amongst us here, or, or whatever. I mean, how, what might be on the younger son's school report? What do you imagine? What, what, how would you try, how would you describe him to someone else? The younger son. He challenges authority. He has issues with authority. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. What else? How would you describe him? Could do better. Could do better. <laughs> Stock phrase. A free thinker. Oh, okay. That's very positive. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Very positive. What else might we say? Because we might be saying this about ourselves, of course. But anyway. Black uh... spoke. Focus. <laughs> yeah, anything else? What's his character like? As far as we can tell, we could use our imagination a little bit here, but think about how this might have struck the people who heard it that when Jesus was teaching. Carefree. I'm sorry? Carefree. Carefree. Right, not thinking too much about the future. Irresponsible. Irresponsible, not thinking about the consequences of actions, maybe. Unruly. Ooh, that's a good word. Profligate. Profligate. Three syllables now. Any advance on three syllables? Any advance? Selfish. Selfish. Going back to two, but okay, we'll take it. <laughs> Inconsequential. Whoa. Okay, now we're getting silly. So, um, it's, it wouldn't be hard to recognize him if he was in your family. And if you had a chat like this in your family, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, or, you know, you'd, you'd know this kind of person, wouldn't you? And they would stand out amongst most people we might know. He's certainly egocentric, selfish, and disrespectful at the very least. Of course, he's breaking this, uh, this commandment to honor your father and mother. He's not honoring his father in this context. So he is a lawbreaker in this context, breaking God's law. For his own selfish desires. Um, why do you think, I know this is speculative, but why do you think the father did not resist the younger son's request to give him his share of the inheritance? What might have been in his motives? What might have been, uh, from what we know of the father in the parable, why, resi- why not resist? He had it in his power to legally resist his son's request. So why, why did he not, perhaps? His own life experience? Oh, giving his son an opportunity for life experience. Yes, okay, yes. Letting him experience things that might actually help him in the long run, maybe. Hmm. Any other thoughts? He's tired of fighting. Tired of fighting. I mean, maybe this is one out of a long series of incidents of 
trying to get his, the young son trying to get his own way, and maybe he's like, okay, well, all right then. Yeah, Simon? Okay. Mm, he's wanted to try. He was trying to prevent some sense of embitterment. Mm. Is that a word? I don't know, but anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what? It's almost if he realised that the issue was not with him, and he had to learn some kind of lesson. And he knew it was going to be a costly lesson. Costly, yeah. He was willing to take that, that risk, mm. which is difficult for parents. <laughs> oh my goodness! Tell me about it. Yeah. Good. I mean, we don't know exactly the motives, but there's something very gracious about the Father, even in, in this stage, in the parable, not just later. The older son, just a little side note, but it's interesting that the older son is not mentioned at the first part of the parable, which in itself is instructive in that culture. Because in that culture, if there was a dispute between the younger son, a younger son, one of his bro- younger brothers, and the father, it was the older son's responsibility to broker some peace. And to go and speak to the younger son and say, this behavior is not acceptable. And to reconcile things. It's interesting that the, young, the older son does not do that. Which indicates to us, which we find out later, or, uh, later that there is a problem between the older son and the younger son already. And, it, and there must be also a bit of a challenge already in the relationship between the father and the younger son. But the older son does not intervene. Um, and he, should have, he would also have had the right to say to the younger son... Um, I don't think you should do this and take the inheritance. So all is not well in these relationships. It's tragic. I mean, this is the vision of the relationships that God wants his people to have, that is, brothers in unity. And that symbolizes all of God's people. And this is part of what's going on behind the scenes of what's beyond the parable here, is that God's people are not unified. They're not unified in love. They're not unified in their view and relationship with God, view of God and relationship with him. This is what Jesus really would hope for. So the, the younger son wants his inheritance, which will mean that the father will have to sell land. Now in that culture, selling land is the biggest no-no of all. Because the land is given by God. This is the promised land, and it has been given. And inherited land is a huge deal in that culture. And so it's, he's kind of betraying his heritage, his whole family. You could even be saying he's betraying the inheritance of Canaan, of the Israelites coming into the promised land by selling the land to somebody else. And, of course, the money is going to be spent amongst Gentiles. And so the inheritance is going to benefit the Gentiles. When the, young, the son goes off to other, other lands, the implication is that the, the Gentiles will benefit from an inheritance that's been given by God. So this is a spiritual and theological tragedy as well as a family one right here. Some of what's going on here. Um, the father effectively becomes disinherited. He's allowed to live on the land. This is what happens. You, uh, it, you, if you sell the land, you can still live on it, but you, it now doesn't belong to you. So it's like the father is a tenant almost on his own land as he, as he separates the inheritance between the younger and the older son. The father is jeopardizing his own future financial security, is what he's allowing. To, and the younger son effectively is saying, I wish you were dead. By taking the inheritance, which would normally only happen when the father is dead, the son is saying, I wish you were dead. 
give me the inheritance. And, as, and in, that, in that sense, the younger son is saying to his father, I don't, I don't have any relationship with you anymore. To me, you are dead. This is what's going on. The, um, a really good, if you're ever interested, by the way, in a really interesting book on the parables of Luke is, uh, is this book, which you can look at later if you like, which has a great deal of depth and understanding about the parables and the culture of the day. And I just want to read you a little excerpt from um, some analysis of this particular parable. Um, so, and this is a chap who grew up, who lived in the Middle East for many, many years and in, in that culture. So in talking about this parable and what happens in this part here, he says, for 15 years I've been asking people all, from all walks of life, from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has almost always been emphatically the same. As I've noted elsewhere, the conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? This request means... He wants his father to die. So, I, I mean, we'll talk more about the father in a minute, but it's still even more remarkable that the father is so gracious and willing to go down this road when he doesn't have to. So, there's a profound break in the relationship between the father and the son. Why doesn't the father go and look for the son? The son wanders off, he goes off to some other land. Why doesn't the father go, go and look for him? I mean, in the other two parables, the shepherd's gone to look for the sheep and the woman has searched for the coin. Mm. This is different. So why, why is that not the case in this parable? What do you think? The father not going. Maybe living in the hope that the son would return. Okay, hoping the son would return <coughs> of his own initiative. Maybe not. Maybe not now. Mm. You might well, think the son would be upset about him coming to look for him. Mm-hmm. Some might resent it. Does he risk losing his livelihood for himself and his older son? We also the relationship with the older son is clearly not great. So maybe he's worried he won't get back on the land when he, gets, when he returns. Maybe. I was just going to say perhaps he knows the other, the, the one that went away doesn't want to be mm. Yeah. It, it, that's what it looks like. The son doesn't want to be found. He wants a, a clean break, a permanent break from what we can tell. Yeah. I wonder how the father felt. I mean, I know it's a parable, but you know, Jesus is telling us something about how God feels. How would that feel as a dad? I mean, many of us here are fathers, and uh, even if, or, or a mother, and it, you know, it can't be that different uh, a feeling. It's very intense, isn't it? What's mm. what's what's going on here? The um, the haste is interesting. Normally, sale of property took months. It seems like it's pretty quick here. Um, as the son went round to the various people in the village to look for buyers, uh, so that he could then get the cash, because um, he would get the land, not cash. That's what would happen. Then he'd have to sell the land. So he's selling the land to other people locally, almost certainly. And as he goes around, he would find as he knocked on every door, he'd find hostility. What are you doing? How can you do this? You're dishonoring your father. What are you... Why? Eventually, someone buys the land, but he would have encountered great hostility. 
So he's certainly um, persevering in his actions here. And he gets out as quick as he can, and he goes, and he had, there are bad times where he has some good times first as he wanders off to the foreign lands, and uh, he has a good time for a while. And uh, it all goes well. He's getting entertained and having a good time, but then the money runs out, of course, and he ends up with the pigs and what, wishing he could eat the food of the pigs, the husks. Apparently, that's the kind of thing and the picture that uh, he might have been thinking of eating, which doesn't look particularly appetizing, I have to say. So his situation gets worse. And uh, it, he says he, he attached himself. What's the phrase here used? Uh, it's a really good one. He began to be, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country in verse 15. The word there means glued. It's actually, he glued himself to somebody because he was so desperate. And he got enslaved, basically, because of his uh, spending. This is the wild carob, the serotonia siliqua, which is not enough to keep a man alive. It would fill your stomach for a bit, but it won't actually nutritionally keep you alive. It's bitter and thorny and used mainly as firewood. So, he comes to his senses. He sees the relative situation between his current situation and, uh, and what life was like back at home. And he, start, he thinks about going back. He rehearses his speech. What does his solution tell, you, tell us about the way that he's thinking? He decides to go back. He rehearses the speech. He gets an idea in his head of what he will say. I'm like, make me like one of your hired men. I've sinned against heaven and against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. What's going through his mind at this point? What's, what's, what is he thinking? What's his attitude like, do you think? Patricia? Something genuine going on there. Okay. Redemption, I think. Looking for redemption. Mm-hmm. Liam? I think the full consequence is what's, what he's done to his father. Kind of, uh, you know, he's just realizing that as well. It's almost like he's realizing he can't be his, son's, his father's son because he rejected his father as his father. He understands he can't be what he used to be, but he hopes for... Go on. I think he also feels that he won't be accepted. Right. Back like that. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it would be a different speech, presumably. Yeah. So there's maybe some trepidation, some fear about the response. I I would, wouldn't you? But he'd be desperate like yeah. And he's desperate. Um, right. That overrides his fears. Yeah. Desperation does. This is last chance. Yeah. Looks like there's no other way, mm. as far as we can tell. At least not in. He'd certainly be worried about his brother. You'd be worried about the brother. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the older brother. Because yeah. uh, in, uh, in the photograph we saw, he was bigger and stronger. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah he, he would be worried. Indeed. I wonder whether that's sometimes how we might have felt when we lived our lives without God and then thought about, well, you know, 
Maybe there is some spiritual reality. Maybe I should look into finding God. And I mean, I know for me, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a home of church going and, and faith and, and so on. But the idea of really getting close to God and really actually understanding what, what it meant as I studied the Bible, it was, there was some fear involved. I don't know whether you felt a little bit fearful as you studied the Bible. But then we had a motivation, didn't we? We had a drive to be, uh, to be reconciled with God. So we pushed through that fear. There's some fear, I think, but there is also, as you say, Barry, desperation. Um, let's move on a bit here. So he goes back, um, and the father is amazing, of course, and uh, is looking and hoping for his son to come back. And, uh, and then he runs to the, uh, to the son. What does this tell us about the attitude of the father? What does this tell us about the father, would you say? Sorry? He loves his son. Loves his son. Yeah. Simon? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Yeah. I might have been tempted to run up to the son with a stick in my hand. <laughs> yeah. But it's also that he missed him. He missed his son. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He really wanted him back. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like while he was still a long way off, mm. his father saw him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That bit always makes me think. He, he was always looking, always hoping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real heart there, isn't there? The real desperation of, of reunification. The, um, the 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 fact that he runs to his son is really quite it's quite funny in the culture. Um, the, uh, the author of the book tells of going around to Bedouin tribes telling this story to groups who have never heard it before. These are people who have never heard of uh, Jesus. These are very isolated groups in the, in the mid, mid sort of 20th century, <clears throat> and second half of the 20th century. And uh, going to these little Bedouin groups and telling the story of the prodigal son through a translator. He tells the story of telling the story and, and, It'll say a, a few verses and the translator will, will translate it. At one point, all the Bedouin men in this tent laughed. And he couldn't work out why they laughed because um, it wasn't a joke in the story exactly. And he, he said he wondered whether the translator had translated it wrong or something like that. And he said, why did they laugh? And, he, and the translator asked them and they told him. And the translator said to this chap, he said, well, they laughed because the older, the man is, the father is an older man. I mean, no one of his age runs anywhere. That's ridiculous. To them, it was hilarious that in a story, an older man would run. It's something we don't get, you know, you don't right, quite grasp in our culture. And he tells another story here I'll just share uh, briefly with you about this idea of running. He says this, a pastor, and this is, a, this is in the modern day, well, at least 20th century anyway now. So we're even 2,000 years later, in that culture, it's still the same kind of idea. A pastor of my acquaintance was not accepted as the pastor of a particular church because, in the judgment of the elders, he walked down the street too fast. <laughs> so, I mean, you get an interview, right? And part of the interview is, how fast do you walk? And you get hired or not hired on how, you know, oh, no, he walks too fast. So it, it's just undignified. It's seen as undignified in, in, that, uh, in that culture. 
part of the, and, and people still walk at a very slow, dignified pace if they're older, and particularly if they have any spiritual responsibility, like a priest, walk nice and slow. So interesting that the father then runs, which means that looks disgraceful to everybody. It looks disgraceful to his family, to his friends, to, his, uh, to the people on the estate, to uh, other local villagers who would know of, see of, hear of this thing. So it looks not only funny, but it looks disgraceful. You, that's terrible. You don't do that. He doesn't mind the shame or the disgrace. He's, uh, he's more interested in making sure his son feels loved. So uh, he gets the robe, he gets the ring, he gets the sandals. Are very important, and there's a big party for everybody. Okay, so son number one is back home. Son number two is already home, but kind of not home in a different way, right? Uh, he's not at the party. Uh, he ought to be. I mean, he doesn't, says he doesn't know what's going on, but actually he really ought to know. He should be the one in charge, actually, at the party. Uh, he should be the one at the door. In this culture, if, you're, if the father throws a party, he's on a throne, basically, a big old chair in, in some part of inside the house, and he's there receiving the guests, and the guests will come in, and the older son is at the door. And the older son is at the door saying, welcome to everybody, I'm very honored to have you here, please come and, and see my father, and he would take them to the father, and when all the guests were in, he'd be mingling, making sure that everybody had the, enough food and drink or whatever, and, and, and representing the father to all the people. But He's out in the field somewhere. He's not part of this. He's, he's missing out, uh, whether accidentally or deliberately or a mixture of both. It's not entirely clear. So um, the father, again, does another disgraceful thing. He runs out of his own party to go and find his son. Again, something that would never happen. You, you would be receiving people rather than going out to find somebody. And so he goes out to see his son, and the son is disrespectful uh, uh, again, in that when he's out there, uh, the father goes out and all these years, oh yeah, so he refused to go in, verse 28. Not only was he not in, he refused to go in. The father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look. And again, you know, in that culture, you don't just say to your dad, look. You, you, you use a respectful title, an honorific title towards your father. So again, there's a great deal of respect, uh, disrespect towards the father here he seems to have the attitude of a slave not that of a son I've slaved for you all these years he's the younger son is estranged and rebellious while out of the house whereas the older son is estranged and rebellious while in a sense in the household of his father in some ways there's no difference in some ways he doesn't see his brother as a brother any longer he doesn't see his brother in the same way that his father sees his younger brother. And it's his attitude that prevents him from being able to celebrate. There's a wonderful thing going on, but he's not part of it. You could say he's a hypocritical saint. He's acting saintly. I've been here all these years. So, he calls his son, my child, I think is the phrase, isn't it? Is that the phrase he uses? My son, verse 31, okay, my son, the father said, and that's technon, which is the word for child. So he's, he's, saying, he's using a word, a term of deep affection, even for this rebellious son. So his attitude towards both sons is the same, both, love for both of them equally. Uh, let's just talk for a little bit about what this means for us. As we think about the younger son and the older son, um, can I ask us to think, just for a minute, take a moment to think, and 
which, which son do you identify with most? We'll talk about the father in a minute, but I just want to talk about the sons for a minute. Which son do you identify with most and why? And then if you're willing to, just share something in a minute. So take a moment to think, pray in your head, uh, ask God for insight. Take a moment and just ask, okay, God, which, which one do I identify with? Not in the past, but let's say now, all right, now. And I know there's a range, and I know it's not asking us to be black and white about this, but just think about it for a minute. So, which son? Anybody like to share? No obligation, but uh, anybody would like to share? What? what was, yes, yeah. Barry. I'm trying to think of it like now. Uh, mm. With me now, and I don't relate to the younger son in the fact that I haven't been taken in from my parents and then got off and wish I'd done it with my own self. <laughs> <laughs> But, the, uh, but then maybe I did, I took my sack away um, from them for long periods of time. But I think, yes, I would get offended by the young, what the perceived unfairness of how the, right. um, the younger son is being treated. You know, I moved away to London when I was 17 to work, and for a while, I think I went home about once every six months down to Kent, and I'd get called prodigal son by, by my older brother, because obviously my parents were pleased to see me. Right. Um, so I've, I've been in there a little bit in who's been in that place. Uh, mm. But I would be offended by the unfairness. Yeah. 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 Doesn't look doesn't look fair. Yeah, Dan. I think it's interesting you asked that question um, of I did to the question for now. Yeah. I, I didn't relate to the story now. <coughs> Firstly, um, when I became a Christian, I was asking that question, I would have been like, well, I can relate to the younger son more, more rebellious, more carefully, didn't really have direction. Whereas now, I kind of can feel sorry for the older son a bit more, a bit more because I, I, I don't think I've always got a heart like a father, a father I've got a heart more like an older son yeah. in, in regards to if he wants to go off and do something, he's made his bed and let him lie in it. Can sometimes be my attitude to people who are lost, or they've made their minds up. That's you know, the older adults are responsible, they can do what they want with their lives. Mm. And it almost takes that spiritual element out of it that mm-hmm. they're lost and now in battle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I can take that lostness of their soul out of the equation, which is, and uh, think about me um, in comparison as opposed to them and God. Mm. Okay, yeah. I'd definitely be the younger son. You've been the younger son. I definitely would be the younger son. Even okay. 
that right? Because I always do things lack of authority and on my own. But I think by doing things, I've learned what life is all about and the spiritual journey. Mm. My brother, on the other hand, has been very straight and worked hard and we are about as like as you can <laughs> opposites. You Isn't know? that funny how brothers can be so different? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done all the stupid things. And, but it's, it's life's journey. Mm-hmm. And you find that the son, the old younger son in this, has learned what it is to love. He knows now because he's had all these experiences. And mm-hmm. He regrets what he's done. Because of that, he now knows what he had. He, the blessing for the younger son, although there's a lot of pain in his life, particularly is that he knows now what it means to rejoice and he knows what it means to receive love, yeah. undeserved love, yeah. with all of its fullness. Yeah. Whereas the older son hasn't. He's still a bit bitter. Something going on there. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Becky? I think that, you know, you asked about now, and I think that the older son, you know, I think that even in, you know, just personally speaking about spiritual life, and I think that I have experienced a feeling of being like the older son where you've been a Christian for so many years, and you feel like you're giving and doing all the things, you know, that, mm. that you're told to do and that you do do and, you know, and everything else. But then other people who, you know, you personally perhaps don't feel are, are doing, you know, brilliantly spiritually or whatever, seem to have then lots of blessings. <laughs> And then you feel like your own life is a little challenging at times, and you know where's and I. Th- so I'm just trying to be really brutally, you know, kind of honest about that. I think that you know we can look at it sort of the before and after Christ perspective, but I think there is a danger being a little bit like the older son as a Christian sure. as well. Yeah, absolutely, there is. Yes, yes. One more, if someone wants to. We'll wrap up and take communion. Husbands aren't allowed to nudge their wives. Can <laughs> <laughs> something else? Sure, Barry. Um, on this scripture, the one thing that um, wasn't focused on here, which has always impacted me about the scripture that I've heard in the Bible before becoming a Christian, it always impacted me. Um, and I know it's a parable, um, but the... Um, the son says, you know, I've sinned against heaven, uh, so I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, maybe one like the high of men. So he went up and went to his father. Um, and when the father saw him, he came running out to him, kissed him, uh, threw arms around him, kissed him, etc. And if that was me, I would probably thought, hmm, okay. Oh, well, it looks like I've got away with this. But what Jesus reiterates is the son still says, you know, I'm not worthy to be. I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Please make me like a higher man. Whereas I think it's human nature to think, oh, I need to go that far. Right. And that always impacted me when I was first already. Great point. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that's kind of where, where we'll, we'll sort of 
draw this thing to its point, which is really that a large part of the parable is really about the father. And it's important that we identify accurately where it's appropriate for us to identify with the younger son or the older son. And certainly as Jesus is speaking to the group around him, he is trying to help the Pharisees understand that they are the older son and that they have the wrong attitude towards the sinners who love Jesus and love hanging out with him and feel that sense of unconditional acceptance and love from Jesus, that the Pharisees have got the wrong attitude. I mean, this, this is a contextual point here. And the truth is, you know, that I think it's not just you or me, but it's very much ingrained in human nature that we consider ourselves to be better or superior to somebody. Even, honestly, I think, you know, some of us may think, oh, no, no, I don't feel like I'm superior to anybody. Well, you think you're superior to everybody who... Who, uh, who sometimes thinks they're superior to other people. So it, it, there isn't... There, there, it, I, I don't think there's any way out of it. I, I think as a, as a looking down on thing, you know, wherever we are in, in life and, uh, and so on. So we've got to be very, very careful about this. And it's important for us to engage with the reality of our, um, our um, um, pride, which is what's going on here. And the tragedy of it is that the pride prevents the people who could be close to God enjoying being close to God and celebrating. Because the, the, the end of the story, the end of the story is actually kind of a mixture of hope and tragedy. Because it doesn't end with resolution. It ends with the father saying to the older son, look, you, you really need to come and celebrate. Uh, when it says we had to celebrate, the translation actually could equally be, but you had to celebrate. It could be the father saying to the older son, you really need this. Uh, you need to come celebrate. You need to you know, have this uh, uh, relationship with me like your brother now has. So we need to celebrate, and we've got this offer. And the Christian life is challenging. I mean, you said you know, like, things are tough sometimes, and it is true. All of us have felt that. But it also should be that we can celebrate. And even if we can't celebrate what's happening, we can celebrate our relationship with God. If we have the attitude of the younger son, I think. The father is incredible. Um, his, he is kind of the point in many ways. And uh, we have been given the same uh, benefits as, uh, as the young son with new clothing. It's prophesied in Isaiah and it, it's... Uh, laid out there in Galatians 3 that we've been clothed with Christ. Like the young son was given the robe of the father. Now we've been given a new identity in Christ with having been clothed in Christ because of what Jesus has done and that he was willing to suffer the shame of the cross, as it says in Hebrews 12. The shame of the cross. The father suffers shame in this story multiple times from different angles. Jesus suffered shame for us on the cross willingly because of the joy set before him and because then we can enjoy that joy. We get to join in it, which is why we're going to take communion in a minute. So Leon's going to come up and uh, take us to that part of the service. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more, go to our website, thewatfordchurchofchrist.org or you can email me, mccx at mac.com. Thanks very much and God bless.